Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN, the world's news network. Close captioning is brought to you by Audiobook Network. Authors tell your story. Produce an audiobook with us. Want to earn more profits and find a new audience for your published book? Produce an audiobook. We handle narration, production, and digital distribution. Call or scan the QR code now. Today on Inside Politics, rising fast. A brand new CNN poll out this hour reveals the shifting sands of the 2024 race in the critical battleground state of New Hampshire. One candidate has surged to second, while another has plummeted into the single digits. Plus, substantial evidence. That's what a damning new report from the House Ethics Committee says about George Santos stealing from his own campaign, among other things. So just how long can the embattled congressman from New York hold on to his seat? And trust but verify. That's how President Biden is describing his approach to Xi Jinping. But he also called the Chinese president a dictator after their critical summit. Can the two superpowers still play nice? I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start with CNN's brand new exclusive polling out of that critical primary state, New Hampshire. Donald Trump remains the front runner, bigly. But there are new data points for other candidates that are showing a shift in the field. CNN political director David Chalian is at the wall. David, um, tell us about what this says for the former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Well, Kelly. you're noting her movement, but we should remind folks here, Donald Trump is still way out in front way. in uh, the first in the nation primary state. Our brand new poll conducted uh, with University of New Hampshire, UNH, Donald Trump's at 42% of likely Republican primary voters. Nikki Haley is at 20%. Now that's a 22 point lead and that is big, but I'm gonna show you something here. You're gonna see her growth. Christie in third at 14%. DeSantis, Ramaswamy now in single digits. Doug Burgum down at 2%. And look at the change over time, Dana. Nikki Haley is up eight percentage points since September mm. from 12 to 20. That is the real movement yeah. in this poll. You see Trump is holding about even. Christie upticks a little bit. The other significant movement here is down five points for Vivek Ramaswamy from 13 to eight. And I know there's not much movement for DeSantis, but psychologically getting not, down into single not digits the right now, direction. not the right direction. Yeah. So we'd like to talk about how solid, mm-hmm. sticky uh, the support is for these candidates. What's the answer? Well, we asked folks, are you, is your mind made up or is there room here for folks to make a case? A majority, 52% of likely Republican primary voters in New Hampshire say they are definitely decided. 35% say they're leaning to someone. Just 12% say they are still deciding. Mm, But if you add in Trump supporters here, and just take a look, those who say Donald Trump is their choice in this primary, 83%, Dana, say they are solidly locked in. That is the stickiness of his support. 11% of Trump supporters are leaning to someone. They consider themselves sort of leaners. 5% uh, still deciding. 
And as you know, one of the main arguments that we're hearing from candidates not named Trump is that he can't win. And that argument is falling on deaf ears with this New Hampshire Republican primary electorate. Look at this movement. Donald Trump back in September, 51% of likely Republican primary voters said he had the best chance of winning a general election. That's now up to 57%. So he's up six points on electability. Now you see Haley's made progress on electability too. She's up five. DeSantis way down on this score. He's down 11 points on being seen as the one with the best chance to win. But it's not, it's not an argument that people are hearing that Donald Trump can't win the general election. You know, and when you initially look at this kind of poll, you think, well, these are just people kind of playing pundit. But it's not just that. It, it is how they view a candidate and whether or not they think that that Republican can beat Donald Trump and that dictates their vote. Uh, there's another side to this question. Yes. We ask people, who have you ruled out and you'll never support? You may remember, this has always been Christie's weak point, right? It's like he doesn't fit with the modern day Republican electorate. In September, he was at 60% of likely Republican New Hampshire primary voters saying never support. He's made progress on that. That's now down to 47%. Now that's still the largest chunk of all these folks, right? Uh, 32% say they'll never support Trump. You see here, uh, Haley's got the lowest here. She only 24% rule her out entirely. But Christie, as time goes on and he invests so much in New Hampshire, he's making a little bit of progress to at least be considered an option. That's really interesting. Uh, we want to go back to Nikki Haley because she uh, is sort of the story, along with Chris Christie, in this poll. Yesterday, she was asked about why she doesn't think this is the right time for Donald Trump and what she would say if she were asked to be his vice president. Listen to what she said. Chaos follows him. Everywhere he goes, chaos follows him. And in a time where we need to start getting our act together, do we really want to go that route? I don't think we do. I don't think the American people do. Let me ask you this. If, in fact, he becomes a nominee and he calls you up and says, I want you to be my vice president, would you do that? I don't play for second. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. But would you accept, would you take that position? I'm not playing for second. I'm not going to do it. I, I am running because this country is in trouble. Our brilliant reporters are here to break all of this down. CNN's Jeff Zeleny, CNN's Elena Treen, PBS NewsHour's Laura Barone Lopez, and of course, David Chalian is now back at the table with us. Uh, Jeff Zeleny, you are out on the campaign trail a lot, including and especially in New Hampshire. Uh, does what we're seeing here match with the kind of sentiment you're seeing on the ground? It definitely does. I was in New Hampshire uh, just a little over a week ago with Nikki Haley, and you can feel the excitement about um, surrounding her. You can see it in her crowd size. Really, uh, you can mark this since the debate time. I mean, the debates have not had an effect on the overall trajectory of the race, with Donald Trump, of course, still the commanding leader. But it, it, without question, it's helped her. There's an excitement level for Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. It kind of fits the state's electorate. I mean, we've all covered New Hampshire for a long time. It's a, a state where there's a lot of independent sort of minds. So, uh, um, and she's been much softer, I guess, in her um, um, views on abortion. She's called for a consensus. Uh, so yes, it definitely fits that. But it also fits the overall picture that Donald Trump is still in the driver's seat here. And also Chris Christie. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a special connection, I guess, to those independent voters as well. When you add Christie and Haley up, you're getting close to a challenge there for Donald Trump. But that's not how this works. No. I mean, <laughs> uh, for Trump, uh, he benefits from the uh, division here, even though, and I think one small thing on uh, DeSantis, it just reinforces the fact that now we know for sure why 
all of his eggs are in Iowa's basket. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. Uh, you cover Donald Trump for us. Let's just pull up uh, some specifics when we look at the person who is still far and away the front runner in New Hampshire, just like uh, everywhere else. Policy position, 67 percent. Physical and mental fitness, 63 percent. Understanding people like you, 60. Honesty and integrity, 46. Temperament, 37. I don't think anything in those numbers will, particularly at the end, are surprising. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I think New Hampshire is such an interesting state. And you look at the other candidates as well. A lot of them see the path to besting Trump through New Hampshire. People like Chris Christie. That's why they're spending so much time there. Um, but I was in New Hampshire as well last weekend for Donald Trump's rally in Claremont, um, a small town in New Hampshire. And I talked to voters and they are very excited about him, even though other people are trying to make a play for the state. They think that this is a place where they can gain enough support to maybe become second place, the Trump alternative. A lot of the voters that I talked to at that rally were all in on Donald Trump. It very much supports uh, the poll numbers that say, you know, the people who have decided and the Trump voters who have decided are very much with him. And that is what I keep hearing on the road, not just in New Hampshire, but in all the other states as well. I mean, look, I think that this polling is interesting because of the fact that Haley ha is surging well over uh, DeSantis. But again, to your point, Jeff, th this isn't a true primary competition. I mean, Trump is far and ahead uh, uh, above all of the other candidates. And unless they start to drop out between now and January, then Haley's not going to see any coalescing around herself from the majority of these voters. And she's not gonna really have a chance at taking Donald Trump down. And there's no indication, despite some Republicans saying that they hope that they can coalesce around this alternative candidate, there's no indication from establishment that they're actually going to do what they need to do to make sure that that happens. And just, I wanna pick up on Jeff's point about uh, the independents, the undeclareds, mm -hmm. those that are not registered one party, and they can play and go vote in, yeah. in the Republican primary in New Hampshire. And if you look at our poll, Trump, Christie, and Haley are splitting independents roughly evenly. They each are getting sort of an equal share of them. That's Trump is so strong with registered Republicans. He's right. dominating in that force. So we, in this poll, I think 43% of the likely Republican electorate in this poll are independents. And if you look back at 2012, the last time there was a Republican primary in New Hampshire uh, without action on the Demo real action on the Democratic side, it was about that. It was about 45% of the overall Republican primary electorate were actually independents. And so I'll be curious to see how Haley and Christie specifically right. try to increase and bring in more and more independents into the electorate. I want to just look at one other, well, there are lots of interesting data in this poll, but one that is really striking is the opinion of Vivek Ramaswamy, because he was ascending for a little bit. Boy, has that changed. I mean, look at those numbers. Since just September, where he was, uh, is, this is his favorability, plus 12, now negative 10. I mean, he's done little to improve his likability, obviously. Uh, we've seen it on the debate stages. He picks fights, he talks over people, and the things he does on the campaign trail, I'm thinking of one, a video his, cam um, his campaign put out about going uh, waveboarding in a suit in Miami after the debate. It's very uh, viral. I mean, his campaign is more directed toward a different crowd than the New Hampshire electorate. That is clear. Look, and we've seen a similar 
uh, fall in Iowa uh, in some polling there. But look, he's still a factor mm -hmm. in the race. He certainly is in uh, Nikki Haley's head, and they've been uh, sort of mm -hmm. going back and forth. So even though he may not, uh, you know, doesn't seem uh, prepared or projected uh, to win, he could still be a factor. He could absolutely be a factor, but it's just a, a detonating bomb, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's just a reminder that Trump is in a category of his own, yeah. that he yeah. can do all of these things uh, it, that Vivek Ramaswamy does, but he does it in his own way. And he does it in a way that, of course, alienates some people, but not like this. Right. Right. And Ramaswamy and DeSantis both have tried to be mm -hmm. Trump, like Trump 2.0 or a different version of Trump, but not really. And it's showing that that's not actually what's working, especially in a state like New Hampshire. They want someone that is actually going to take on, those independents want someone that is actually going to take on the type of party that Trump has created in his image. And that's why Haley and Christie, you're seeing move ahead. And the Ramaswamis and DeSantis's who are saying, if you don't want Trump, you can get me who's just like Trump. It's not working because Trump is on the ballot. And just to add to that, I think, when I talk to Donald Trump's team and his advisors and talking about New Hampshire, I'm sure they're going to be happy about these numbers. Um, it's interesting because they know that the strategy of others is to try to win through the primaries, that they can do well in Iowa, they can do well in New Hampshire, maybe they have a shot. Um, similarly, Trump's team thinks that if he can do really well in Iowa and New Hampshire, as he is showing to do in the polls, they think that that will essentially determine the race and the others are going to fall like dominoes after that. And so that's their game plan. And they're right likely so, right about that. I yeah, I, I agree. I'm actually going to speak with Chris Christie about this brand new poll uh, later in this hour. But first, a damning ethics report for embattled Congressman George Santos. How long can he keep his seat? That is the question now. We'll tell you what this report said next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Breaking news from Capitol Hill, a House Ethics Committee report found substantial evidence that Congressman George Santos broke the law. In their highly anticipated report, the committee writes that Santos sought to fraudulently exploit every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial profit, blatantly stole from his campaign and deceived donors into providing 
what they thought were contributions to his campaign, but were in fact payments for his personal benefit. CNN's Manu Raju is live on Capitol Hill. I mean, I have never read anything like this. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, in addition to that, it says in the report, he sustained all of that through a, quote, constant series of lies to his constituents, donors, and staff about his background and his experience. Now the question for George Santos is how long he can remain in his seat. He just announced moments ago that he would not run for re-election, despite telling me just a couple of weeks ago that he absolutely would run even if he were expelled. We do expect the chairman of this committee, the Republican chairman, Michael Guest, tomorrow to file a resolution to kick him out of the House, which would need two-thirds majority to succeed. The question is, can he get there? Now, the, among the things that are detailed in this report is one of the aspects that he knowingly falsified his financial disclosures with the House. That is also part of the 23-count indictment that George Santos is facing. Santos has pleaded not guilty to those charges. Just a couple of weeks ago, I asked Santos about that exact situation, about alleged, allegedly filing those false disclosures with the House, and here's what he said. In the indictment, it says, and this is a serious part, about filing false reports with the House, allegedly. Financial, they said you made up your income. And that could be a problem for your ethics probe. What happened? I mean, did you not list your income properly here? All I, all I, can, say, all I can say is, first, no, that's not true. Second, uh, were there mistake made on those forms? I'm, now I know they were. Uh, was I, were they malicious? No. Did I understand reporting dates? So this is from last year to current date this year? No, I didn't, I didn't understand how that worked. And I'm a new candidate, and I'm sorry that, like, mistakes were made. Now, Santos has not formally responded other than through on social media, saying if there was a single ounce of ethics in this ethics committee, they would have not released this biased report. He went on to say the committee went on to extraordinary lengths to smear myself and my legal team about me and not being forthcoming. Now, he did not participate in an interview with this committee. They had asked him for a volunteer interview. He said no. They decided not to also have a formal recommendation to expel him, Dana. And the big reason why, according to the chairman, is that it would extend this even further into next year, this probe. So they decided to do it this way. But still, this is so significant and could lead to his expulsion, something that could happen by the end of the month. That's such an important point is uh, that you're making there, Manu, that the ethics committee intentionally didn't put in the uh, the recommendation to expel because they wanted it, it to happen quicker, which is uh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, Manu, thank you so much for that reporting. Appreciate it. The panel is still with me here. I mean, you know, it, this is, I mean, I, this is it. It's, it's not that long. I mean, the evidence is, is much longer, but it is so sharp, so blunt. There is absolutely no room for any gray area at all. Absolutely unanimous about everything that he did. Fraudulently exploit every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial pro uh, profit. Blatantly stole from his campaign. Deceived donors into providing uh, payments for his personal benefit. Fictitious loans for his political committees. Uh, used connections uh, with value, high-value donors uh, to obtain additional money for himself. Sustained all of this through a series of lies to his constituents, to his donors, to his staff. Essentially guilty of what 
uh, we've been reading about, first in the New York Times and then here and elsewhere. I mean, uh, it's all confirmed. He can put out a statement at the end uh, sort of going after the ethics probe, but he did not cooperate, as Manu said. He did not give an interview. So he has nothing to say. And the reason that they didn't subpoena him is also interesting because they didn't find him credible. And they said he would simply embellish this. So the reality is this has been a huge black eye on the House. In a year, in an, a term of Congress of many, mm -hmm. this certainly will stand out. But uh, it's an embarrassment. Laura, you've been looking through some of the evidence. Yeah, the report, which is about 55 pages, uh, says that Santos spent some of his campaign money on Botox treatments, on lavish Atlantic City trips with his husband. Uh, and it also, on that fictitious part that you mentioned, uh, Dana, it says that he really tried to create this entire fi fictional narrative around how he was spending the money to cover it all up, essentially. And another important point, I think, is that the House Ethics Committee is evenly split. It's half Democrats, Such an half Republicans, point. and they all unanimously voted in support of this report. Apparently, uh, I'm told that he also spent some of this campaign money on OnlyFans, which is apparently a porn site. So uh, that's good use, I'm sure, of his uh, donor money. This question about what happens in the future, mm -hmm. he, the, the vote to expel him, uh, it looks like it's going to happen soon. He did change course and say he's not going to run for re-election. I just want to read a tweet from one of his fellow New Yorkers. Uh, As expected, this report confirms what we knew. George Santos is a fraud, committed fraud, and should not serve in the House of Representatives. This is why I call for his resignation, voted for his expulsion, and believe he needs to be removed from Congress. Again, this is a fellow New York Republican. And we should say, on politics, these New York Republicans gave the House the majority in the GOP. They did. Um, and I think what happens next is going to be really fascinating to watch, especially because, you know, they have tried to bring up expulsion before for George Santos. I think many people didn't vote for it because they wanted to wait and see this ethics report. Now that they have it, now that, um, you know, as Laura mentioned, they voted unanimously to bring this to the floor. I think it's going to be a very different game when expulsion comes up next. And the fact that he announced that he is not going to seek re-election, even though he's saying that this report is a smear campaign against him and denying the, uh, you know, the substance of what is in the report, um, that does bring a lot of questions for what yeah. will happen next, especially if he does ultimately get, you know, if he ultimately is expelled from the House, that could mean a special election. What does that mean for the numbers, oh, a small a majority? Yeah. There's a lot to be thought about there. Okay, everybody stand by because I want you to look at a picture. It's a handshake between two leaders of the world's two biggest superpowers. But beyond the niceties, there were some harsh words from President Biden for China's longtime leader. We'll talk about that next. President Biden took questions on some of the thorniest issues facing his administration in a wide-ranging press conference after his high-stakes summit with Chinese President Xi Jinping last night. But President Biden made the biggest splash when asked by our very own MJ Lee whether he still considers Xi a dictator. Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a fine country that's based on a form of government totally different than ours. My colleague, my tenacious colleague, MJ, uh, is here now uh, to talk about not just that moment after the press conference, MJ, but the other uh, 
sort of notable moments that we heard from the president last night? Yeah, Dana, I mean, we did get a fiery response from the Chinese foreign ministry to that dictator comment. They said that it was extremely erroneous and irresponsible. But I can tell you for sure that the White House has no interest in dwelling on those comments. They are really pointing to what they say was real progress that was made yesterday at the Biden-Xi summit, uh, where they were able to sort of take the heat out a little bit from the tensions between the two countries. They, of course, were touting some of the few uh, deliverables that they were able to announce yesterday, including uh, chiefly that military to military communication being reestablished between the two countries, that announcement on cracking down on fentanyl. Uh, and the press conference last night was so interesting because even though that summit was uh, entirely focused on U.S.-China relations, the president fielded a number of questions about the ongoing Israel-Hamas war, war uh, everything on the civilian casualties, uh, the status of the hostage negotiations where he said he was mildly optimistic. Uh, and then he had this to say about the duration of the war and the future of Gaza. With regard to uh, when is this going to stop, I think it's going to stop when the uh, when Hamas no longer maintains the capacity to murder and abuse and and uh, and just do horrific things to uh, the Israelis. I can't tell you how long it's going to last, but I can tell you I don't think it ultimately ends until there's a two-state solution. The president also answered a number of questions that had to do with Israel's claim that there is a Hamas control center under Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. Uh, the president said he was absolutely confident, based on everything he knew, uh, that that was the case. And the White House has been saying that they have their own intelligence making them confident in this view. Obviously, there have been a lot of questions about that claim so far. Dana. MJ, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Joining me now is CNN's Jim Shudo. Jim, let's go back to the discussion about China. Yeah. Uh, because the response, and you know this far better than I, so I want to get your take on it, inside China, Chinese state media was really key. Uh, first, this is from uh, Xinhua. The meeting was positive, comprehensive, and constructive, and has charted the course for improving and developing China-U.S. relations. San Francisco should be a new starting point for stabilizing China-U.S. relations. And I just want to add, you heard MJ uh, talk about the reporting there about the president, President yeah. Biden, sta standing by the term dictator. Mm -hmm. They said this is extremely erroneous. It's irresponsible political maneuver, which China firmly opposes. It sounds like it's pretty tough, but it's nothing compared to when President Biden actually said he's a dictator in June, where the Chinese yeah. said it was, you know, violated facts, diplomatic protocol, called it a political provocation. Listen, the difference between how Chinese state media is portraying this relationship today Going back to June, but go back to February in the midst of the Chinese balloon incident, there, there was talk of, of war in either direction. You had threats in Chinese state-run media about shooting at uh, U.S. surveillance aircraft in and around Chinese airspace. So that change is dramatic in sh such a short period of time. And keep in mind, that doesn't happen by accident, right? The Chinese state-run media is run by the state. They put out glowing coverage of this because 
That is the government's view that this is a positive meeting for China. The leader needs it now, and they want to color the Chinese public's perception of this meeting as being justified, the right thing at the right time. So that's not an accident. This is China backing up the leader's decision to come and, and, and shake hands with, with the U.S. president. That's the point about uh, that this is obviously state-run. They're trying to shape mm -hmm. public opinion. And the question is why? Why are they so intent on portraying this as such a positive meeting back in China? So, a couple reasons. One, and this is something that, that China shares with the U.S., is, is that neither side wants to be on, on a path, on momentum towards war. And, and this has been a bad year between the U.S. and China, with, with some real flashpoints, the, the Chinese balloon, but also close encounters between U.S. and Chinese warships. Uh, a Chinese jet just a couple weeks ago was 10 feet off the wing uh, of, a US, uh, of a U.S. jet, which can lead to an international, possibly a deadly altercation. So it's been a tough year. Both sides want to cool that down, it seems, right? Just to, they're not going to solve all their problems, but cool it down. But there's this added piece, which is about Xi's domestic position. It's not strong. The economy is weak. It, it's not just come down to earth, but they have genuine uh, economic fears right now, of their, their own massive real estate bubble. And then that leads to threats to uh, Xi Jinping's leadership. So he needs a win, in, in yeah. effect. And uh, he needs, he can't fight the U.S. on the economic front right now because of China's economic weakness. So it makes sense for him so to make nice. Really, really interesting. Thanks for being yeah. on. Appreciate Thank it, you. Jim. And coming up, some good news for former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie in our brand new exclusive CNN poll out of New Hampshire. I'll get his reaction after a quick break. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to our exclusive new poll out of New Hampshire. Among Republican primary voters, the poll had welcome news for one candidate who is spending a lot of time in the Granite State, Chris Christie. He climbed to third, but still has a pretty big mountain to climb to overtake Donald Trump. Bit more of a hill when it comes to Nikki Haley. Joining me now from New Hampshire is Chris Christie. Thank you so much for being here, Governor. Let's start with this poll, uh, your reaction. No, look, it, it shows what we've been feeling on the ground here. We continue to move up. We continue to do better. Um, I think this is really now a three-person race in New Hampshire with myself and Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. Um, and we intend to, to be riding this hard all the way to January 23rd. Now that the date has been uh, put in stone, I'm here today and tomorrow. I'll be back Monday and Tuesday. And uh, we're going to be spending the time, the energy, and the money here to be able to uh, to win this primary. Is your campaign New Hampshire or bust? <clears throat> no, it's not New Hampshire or bust. But what we want it to be is for New Hampshire to be what starts our momentum towards the nomination. And we think that's exactly what it will be. And so uh, there's not a, certainly not a must-win state for me. Um, but what it is is a must-do-well state. And if I do well, um, we're going to be in this right to the convention. So you saw this poll and you saw, as we mentioned again, that a good chunk of New Hampshire Republicans list you as their first choice. But 47 percent 
of likely New Hampshire Republican voters say that they would never support you. Now, if we're showing this on the screen, I'm not sure if you can see it. That is a 13 point drop, which in this case, that's good news for you. How do you yeah. turn them around? The 47 percent. The way I turn the the way I turn the 60 to 47 um, since your last poll. <laughs> Look, um, you know, people in the beginning um, are turned off by the fact that someone's actually telling the truth about Donald Trump. Now that they hear more and more about Donald Trump, they're becoming less and less concerned about me and more and more concerned about him. So that number is going to continue to go down um, as we continue to put our message out there. Um, I told you this, Dana, you know, when we interviewed a couple months ago when you had the poll out that was at 60 percent. And I said, look, it's going to get less. We expected to get that kind of reaction in the beginning because, look, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are running for second place. They put their hand up and they said, I'll support Donald Trump even if he's a convicted felon. Nikki Haley the other night said he's the right president for the right time. Um, you know, look, either you're running against Donald Trump or you're not. When you look at those numbers, Dana, that you had on the screen, you know that if you don't run through Donald Trump, you're going to come in second or third to Donald Trump. Maybe that's okay with them. Maybe they want to run in 2028. I'm running to win right now. Governor, I have to ask you about something that, uh, well, first of all, President Trump started by calling uh, his political rivals vermin. He did that, if you remember, on Veterans Day. You liken those comments to the worst of Nazi Germany. Now another one of your primary opponents, Vivek Ramaswamy, had uh, another take similar to Trump's. Let's listen to what he said. You know what's vermin? What's running around San Francisco on a given day before Gavin Newsom cleaned it up on a dime to roll out the red carpet for Xi Jinping? Picking on some word that Donald Trump said on a certain day and asking me for comment on it. Give me a break. I'm going to ask you for comment on it. Well, my comment's the same as it was before, um, which was that it's the worst of what you used to hear in 1930s Nazi Germany. And he knows it, by the way. This is not a mistake. And, you know, look, I, I, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Vivek Ramaswamy is Donald Trump's wingman. Um, anytime Donald Trump says something stupid, Vivek's in there with the broom and the dustpan trying to clean up after it. You would think a guy with a Harvard education would be able to get a better job than that. But apparently he's just cleaning up on what Donald Trump drops every day out of his mouth. Uh, just uh, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about the meeting that President Biden had last night, yesterday, really all day, with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Yesterday, President Biden doubled down on calling him a dictator, but also uh, got some things done, fentanyl, reestablishing communication uh, between the militaries. How would you have handled President Xi in a different way if you were president? Well, I don't know what was said behind closed doors, Dana, but what I would say is on the fentanyl issue, this should have been done quite some time ago. Um, and hopefully uh, the Chinese will keep their word. Now, I don't trust them. I follow the Reagan approach of trust but verify. Um, we'll see if they comply with what they said they're going to do on fentanyl. And by the way, on the, on the issue of uh, military to military communication, that's always a good thing mm -hmm. to have. What you don't want to have ever um, are circumstances where there are miscommunications between the two largest militaries in the world that lead to a problem that will be difficult, if not impossible, to fix. So I think that's a good thing. But in the end, and calling him a dictator is, by the way, what he is. 
Um, it's not like they have free elections in communist China. So, you know, I heard, I saw some of his uh, staff members got weak in the knees because he said it. Well, good for Joe Biden that he said it. He is a dictator. Um, he doesn't have free elections and fair elections. And so he called him exactly what he is. The way it would be in my administration, quite frankly, would be we're going to be even more direct with the Chinese about the things that they need yeah. to do in order to maintain a positive, productive relationship with the United States. Um, Joe Biden, I'm glad they met, um, but it's probably a little bit too little um, at this point, uh, given all the time he's had as president already. Governor, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Dana, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And coming up, members of Congress, including top House Democrats, evacuated after violent struggles between the police and protesters right here in Washington, D.C. What it says about the politics of the president's own party as he is facing a reelection bid. Now to an anti-war rally that turned violent. This was the scene outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters right here in Washington last night. Protesters were demanding a ceasefire in Gaza, but ended up uh, clashing with police. The top three House Democrats were all inside the building at the time and had to be evacuated. It's another sign of the growing divide among Democrats over President Biden's handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Our great reporters are back. And Laura, I mean, that isn't quite an image. We haven't seen an image like that since January 6th. Totally different topic, totally different kind of people. I mean, I don't want to at all um, compare the sort of substance of it, but yeah. the idea that there was violence and that there were Capitol Police officers actually hurt there. Mm -hmm. I believe there are about six Capitol Police officers that were injured, according to uh, the Capitol Police that put yeah. out that report last night. But uh, there is a, there are key differences. Uh, I wouldn't compare it to January 6th, but it was a clash. Yeah. And the protesters or the, the rallyers were standing outside and blocking the entryways and the exit ways. And that's why police confronted them mm -hmm. and tried to get them to move because people couldn't exit or enter And not the just building. people, like right. the most lawmakers, senior House Democrats. Most senior House Democrats and yeah. lawmakers who were there for an event. And so um, that's what ultimately led to the clash. Uh, look, as you said, Dana, this is showing the fissures among Democrats and among the left that are very frustrated with President Biden, yeah. that feel as though he's not doing all that he can to try to ensure that the violence stop, that the attacks on civilians in Gaza stop. Uh, he was questioned about that yesterday. And so that's something that he's going to have to address more, especially as he heads into the campaign cycle. And, and thank you. And Jeff, uh, you have such an interesting and important take on this based on uh, the very important reporting that you've been doing all over the country. And we're just going to give one example of an interview uh, that you did with some students in Georgia. It was this week about what's happening in the Middle East and how they view the president. They don't like how he's handling that war. Um, I think it is crucial for us to call for a ceasefire. And a lot of people in my generation, they want to see senators across the board step up and call for a ceasefire, especially the president. I think that young voters recognize you can't bomb your way to peace and security. And so we do feel uncomfortable with that. Look, that was a prevailing sentiment, talking to young voters and uh, the, the youngest uh, woman ever elected to the Georgia State Senate who's Muslim American. And so she has been hearing from a lot of young voters and others, she said. And look, uh, civilians is the, the word here, as you just said, where that is what uh, is the, the, the 
central point. And Democrats are furious and frustrated. And we, this is going to be a central part of th this campaign for the next year for House races, Senate races, as some primaries are becoming part of this. So this is something the administration and president will have to address more, which they know, but the feelings are very raw on college campuses and far beyond that. And usually you made the point that anti-war uh, protests are against Republicans. In this case, it's a Democratic president. That's exactly right. And I think, I mean, both of the points that you are making um, are true. It's showing the cracks in the party right now. And also, I do think that the Biden administration is having a lot of difficulty with how to address this and how to do it right, especially obviously given the sensitivity of what is happening, but also because there's a lot of diverging opinions. And I agree with Jeff that they're going to have to come out more forcefully and, you know, have him be the leader on this. Yeah, except that from all my reporting, President Biden fundamentally believes, we heard this last night again, that Hamas needs to yes. be destroyed, that they are a terrorist organization, and if they aren't destroyed, that they will just attack again in Israel next. And the question is, where else? Uh, thank you all. Great discussion. Thank you for watching Inside Politics today. CNN News Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.